Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. doing that great this week no i mean i don't think anyone's doing that great this week it's just a really heavy week in general um it's been a really heavy time you know i i can't even believe the things that are happening in our country i mean unfortunately i can believe it but it's it doesn't make it any less horrifying yeah and of course we're talking about the uvalde shooting and also the string of shootings that have happened is it this week or the past couple weeks it doesn't really matter but yeah, the oh my god, the more details that come out of this story, the more horrific it is. Like as if it wasn't Already enough horrific. of a horrific tragedy yeah. for 19 kids to get murdered, but and teachers. And the two teachers um and then the police are blocking parents for going in for an hour like and just doing nothing. Like I don't know, I can't we highlight a lot of problems with the police and some of the stories where things have gone really wrong, but this is yeah. know, another level, no? I, I'm just so incredibly angry with everything. Like, not just that, but gun laws, can I say that? I don't want to get political, but it is political. Like, I keep seeing videos of people going up to congressmen and all this stuff and trying to, like, talk to them about it and they're like let's not get political and it's like well this is yeah. political unfortunately I mean, like almost everything, everything. Is. you're a politician yeah it's your job it, to be political so just, i don't know it's a cop-out in my opinion like they say that so that they you know they can avoid criticism or whatever and yeah. like act like it's an objective thing but right. it's not no it's definitely not so. um and i just i felt like it would be wrong to not bring this up up and not talk about it because it's affecting us in such a big way and we just wanted to say how much our hearts go out to the families and everyone who has been affected by these terrible things that have been happening we're thinking about you and want change to happen yeah yeah, I mean, the, kind of the only thing you can do is call Congress. Yeah. Um, Take or care email them. Yeah. Call them or email them. Take care of yourself. Practice yeah. self-care because it's very important right now. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about this right now, but it's just such a such a hard time. Yeah. There's nothing else to say. So. Yeah. Um, anyway. With that being said, I, I guess we'll get into our story this week because you know that's what we're doing here yeah we're here it to is tell a podcast a yeah. right um, and we are telling the story this week which is cool because you haven't done that in a long time yeah um so it is my turn yeah um, and you're excited about it you... i was excited so i mentioned it was my good thing last week yeah um but i think that this story is kind of nuts yeah um that's we always say that we're like this one guys this one i promise is yeah. crazy well, i mean they're all that's why we tell them because right. they're interesting. Exactly. But I don't know. I I enjoyed researching this one, and I was like, "Really? Like this happened? I had yeah. no idea it happened." But mm-hmm. I don't know. I really wonder if like, I wonder if my parents remember this or my grandparents because it happened in the mid seventies. Okay. And apparently, it was like a time to be alive. Like 
the economy was horrible. Mm. It was like inflation and unemployment was really high, which they call stagflation. So okay. it's like the worst of both worlds. Right. And political violence was at an all-time high because Great. the protests of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And people were coming back and like they knew how to wage war. So I don't know. This is this happens during a crazy time and this is absolutely insane. So without further ado, let us get into the story of Patty Hearst. Okay. So she gets kidnapped, but I think the story really starts with the people who kidnapped her because of how insane they are. Okay. So they called themselves the Symbionese Liberation Army, or the SLA, and they were a Marxist revolutionary group that had its origins in Berkeley, which is kind of by San Francisco, so you know what I'm talking about? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the university at Berkeley had kind of become known as one of the places for kind of this political beliefs to come out of. And, you know, if you were going to make change in the world, you were going to go to Berkeley. Okay. So protests against the Vietnam War happened there often and escalated to violence often, um, which further radicalized the people who were protesting. And a lot of people felt that the only way that they could get change was to lead a violent revolution to overthrow the government. Wow. So it was a, it was, it's just nuts. It's a nuts time. Like I know that we're living through, I don't know, I wouldn't say maybe not an equally insane time, but like we're, you know, back in 2020, like this was, I mean, it was crazy. Anyway, I pulled a fact about this during the early and mid seventies. There were over a thousand bombings every year in the U.S. Oh my God! So that's like three a day. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know what the exact number is, but this this was like their political activism was like blowing up buildings. Oh my God, that's insane. Nuts. One of the members, uh, Bill Harris, graduated in 1963 when the civil rights movement was ramping up, but. He had no political consciousness at the time, but this all changed when he was drafted and went to fight in Vietnam. And then when he came back, he got radicalized. And the group really started in prison. So students and ex-students of Berkeley would just go to the nearest prison, like get convicted, and then organize people in the prison. Oh my God. (laughs) So Where all good groups start, I guess. Right. (laughs) Jesus. So the second member, Donald DeFries was a professional criminal who had pretty much been in and out of prison his whole life and found himself in prison right before founding the SLA for assaulting a sex worker, stealing her check, and trying to cash it. Oh, my God. So, really stand-up guy. Yeah, not not a good guy. Yeah, and he escaped from prison because he knew the prison so well because he'd been there so many times. He went to go work on the boilers and basically just walked off his job after a few hours and then somebody picked him up. So not a very high security prison. Apparently not. Wow. Or he just kind of knew what to do, but he just, it seemed like it was pretty easy. Maybe he was tight with a few of the guards at that point? Yeah, I don't know. So the details around it are kind of murky because he passed away and like there's no firsthand accounts anymore. Okay. Um, But, spoiler, um... (laughs) Yeah, he, it seems like he just kind of waltzed out. So after he escaped, he fled to Berkeley because he knew there that he would be kind of welcomed and accepted, especially with his political views. And um, he helped found the SLA. So the SLA consisted of 
these are a lot of people, so bear with me. Okay. Joe Ramiro, Russ Little, Donald DeFreeze, Willie Wolf, who is rumored to have picked up Donald DeFreeze from prison when he escaped, Bill Harris, Emily Harris, his wife, Ms. Moon Soltizic, her lover, Camilla Hall. Okay. Nancy Ling Perry and Angela Atwood. Great. So try and... I know you aren't going to remember all those, but try and keep them in your mind. Okay. Um, and their first crime was murdering the superintendent of Oakland Unified School District, Marcus Foster. Okay. And why? Because he was supportive of bringing police into schools and giving students ID cards. <laughs> oh, okay. Um... So... I know. <laughs> Donald believed that the police were not in the schools to protect the students, but rather to control them, and convinced himself that Marcus had to be taken out. Interesting. So, on November 6, 1973, Marcus was shot dead at point-blank range with cyanide-tipped bullets. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone, as one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny, but like I'm just thinking about how like getting shot in the face at point blank range is definitely enough to kill you. But they're like, we're going to make it have cyanide in it as well, just for, like, extra dead. Yeah. No, I mean, they want it to be as, as sensational as possible. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty sure that he was not going to be killed by the cyanide. I don't well, think he got shot in the face either, but oh, okay. not that it made really much of a difference. Yeah, point-blank range isn't great in any part of your body getting shot, I guess. Yeah. Right. So people were completely shocked. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just out of the blue. It seemed like there was, like, they didn't understand the motivation at all. Like, I mean, good, right? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't. And later, they put out a statement claiming responsibility for the murder as the Symbionese Liberation Army and kind of the SLA was born in the public consciousness. Okay. So, That's a very uh, extreme way of getting your name out there. Yeah. So it's a horrific first thing to do. I just, what do you say about it? They were all proud of what they had done. Well, I mean, yeah, that checks out. I guess they did it. So, but it, I mean, this is just this is who they are. Yeah, that's so. Not good. This is all leading up to how Patty will get brought into this. So they did this first. Okay. Before Patty's involved, so the group's plan, kind of o their overarching plan. Uh, where this fit in is they wanted to perform small-scale but insanely violent incidents in hopes that it would spark a larger revolution, um, but they didn't really have any other specific goals other than that. It sounds like a Tarantino film. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is, um, and you'll kind of see that as the story keeps going on. 
um, but I put under this, in other words, domestic terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> so geez. this is what their goal was. This is what they're doing. What the hell? So they go underground, right? Because they're on the run from the FBI and any authorities that are worth anything. Sure. Right? So they have to kind of, they're stocking up on guns and they're trying to get their word out there. So they're kind of printing pamphlets and handing them out to try and recruit people for their cause. Okay. And Joe Ramiro and Russ Little, while they were running quote unquote errands, kind of picking up illegal guns and more leaflets, they got pulled over by police. Okay, good. And before the officers could run their plates, they both know that if they get arrested, it's over, right? Joe shot at the cop from point blank range and the cop returned fire. But in some miracle, everyone missed every shot. <laughs> oh, okay. What? Yeah. At they point just blank missed. range, they, yeah. all of them missed. Yeah, I, they were probably both so nervous that they just missed. Well, that's good, I guess. Right? You know, I, I would say so. Yeah. Um, so backup was called. The cop ran back to his car and Russ was arrested and they tracked Joe down shortly after that because he ran off. And they were arrested only a few blocks away from their safe house. So they knew that the SLA was in the area and in their car, they found the same type of gun that was used to kill Marcus, and both were charged with the murder of Marcus Foster. The rest of the SLA members who were in the safe house got spooked because they're like, they're in the area, they're going to find us soon. So they tried to burn down their safe house. So when they left, they shut the garage door and they left all the windows closed and then kind of, you know, poured gas everywhere and lit it. But because they closed everything, the fire ran out of oxygen oh. and it didn't really spread that much. So they left most of what they had in there intact. That's so crazy. Yeah. They were like, oh, this will be great. We'll get rid of all the evidence. We're going to set the entire place on fire and then we're, we're going to dip. But the stupid idiots didn't know they needed oxygen for the fire. Or you don't you don't think, oh, our I mean, house is going to run out of oxygen. Right. But I guess that makes sense because it like it feeds off of oxygen. Right. So if I there's mean, no continual source, then it's going to die. Yeah. That's but insane. I would have never thought that because no. I thought a house is, or, you know, even an apartment is big enough to the point where you'd have enough. Yeah. But, I did not realize that that even was possible if your windows know. were closed. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's a good thing because we've never contemplated burning anything to the well, ground. Yeah. Hey, insurance companies, we're not planning on any of that. Ding. <laughs> Give me good rates. Um, oh, God. But, uh, but that's, in, that's really cool i guess like that's that's really cool but i'm sure firemen are like duh you well, know sure but, but I, they did I'm... they had no idea and good thing because while police were going through the wreckage they found a list of possible kidnap victims <gasps> that they were planning to kidnap and then ransom and one of the names on the list was patty hurst okay i know we've only just begun but i'm already like this is real yeah it's real i like i continually throughout this story was like this happened like you can't write this like this is insane to another level right so patty hurst was the daughter of randolph hurst and the granddaughter of william randolph hurst okay so and who are they they are 
So her dad is the publisher of the San Francisco Examiner and William Randolph Hearst owned like a ton of newspapers and they have a ton of money. So they're kind of a dynasty in media. Oh, great. So, so we have another pe- another story of a person being kidnapped because their family is part of newspaper and has a lot of money. Wait, what's another one? Uh, try two weeks ago when we talked about Eduardo and Jane Valseca. Right. Eduardo's family was like a newspaper dynasty. Is that the right word? In Mexico. And they, they he got kidnapped because they thought he had a lot of money left to him by his father, who was the newspaper guy. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, quite similar, actually. Part two? Yeah, so part two. Great. Kind of. The American version, I guess. Shit. So the Hearst were kind of a dynasty in media, like I said, and incredibly wealthy. And they were kind of in a way like American royalty because everyone kind of knew who they were. Yep. I don't know. I wouldn't say Kardashian-like, but maybe in the way that everyone kind of knew who they were. Sure. But they were definitely not doing the types of things that the Kardashians were doing. <laughs> you mean they weren't the Kardashians? You know. Okay. It was the 70s. You know what I mean? Sure. Um. So her grandfather, William Randolph Hearst. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about Patty Hearst selling a lip kit. <laughs> <laughs> but only talking about it in her father's newspaper. That, I mean, you know. Because we didn't have social media. so and, uh, That's the way you marketed back in the day. <laughs> I don't know. She probably missed opportunity by Patty. Yeah. Um, but she's just fine. Okay. So the family's well started with William Randolph Hearst, right? Patty's grandfather. And he owned dozens of newspapers and he used them to kind of gain political and economic power. And he kind of was a larger than life figure. And the movie Citizen Kane is actually based on his life. Oh, so he's kind of, it almost kind of seemed to me like Great Gatsby-esque. Okay. There's, you know, just kind of rich people who do crazy shit. West Egg know. type shit. Yeah, I don't know, something like that, <laughs> you know, so. Randy Hirsch treated Patty the most like a son, in quotes, uh, because she was tough. Oh, love so, that. So, you know, let's. We love a Tom This boy. is This is from their account, the okay, 70s. this is not my words. Right. Um. He would take her on hikes, taught her to fish, and how to shoot a gun. So, you know, doing things. The son, the son you know, quote unquote, the guy things. You yeah, know what I mean? Right, exactly. So, their relationship seemed like they were quite close. Like, they kind of did things together, and she, you know, had a close relationship with her father, Randy. But her relationship with her mom was much different. Okay. They did not like each other, from Classic. what I could gather. Classic. And. Catherine was from Georgia and had moved out to California with Randy when they got married. And she wanted Patty to do well and kind of follow in her footsteps, like go to college, get a job, you know. And this kind of life track or expectation for her is something that Patty rebelled against. And it kind of seems to me like Catherine was very judgmental and kind of wanted, like almost kind of like a tiger mom, Okay, you know. She wanted her to do specific things, and I'm sure when she didn't do them, they were at odds. Yeah, that makes sense. Very classic mother-daughter conflict. Right, so, you know, their relationship is not good. Patty was forced into convent schools and was kicked out of several of them. Convent schools? I I think it's kind of a religious school, or like they... She wanted her to be a nun? I don't know. Okay, well, I understand rebelling against that. Oh, 100%. I would be having none of this. 
she wanted independence. Right. <laughs> obviously. And she kind of wanted to become an adult and wanted the respect that came with that because she kind of wanted to be treated as an equal. So she had a guitar teacher and later tutor named Stephen Weed when Steven she was 16. Weed. Sorry. Yeah. So let's get past that. He's a really cool <laughs> but, guy, Stephen Weed. Yeah, of course he's a guitar teacher, right? So she started... Dating. Dating him. Right, of course. When she was... 16. Correct. I'm correct. You actually oh, nailed it on the head. Of course I did. For what it's worth, these are their words. Okay. Not mine. Right. Steven's words. He has always maintained that she pursued him for whatever that is worth. And yet you're still a creep, Weed. Yeah. Uh, quote, she knew what she wanted and she was kind of fearless. Okay, still a predator. Note, note, he was 23. Okay, yeah, gross. So they developed a relationship. Right. Obviously, and then decided to move in together uh, in a small townhouse in Berkeley when Patty turned 18. And she attended the University of California, Berkeley. Right. Apparently... Randy Hurst was more accepting of the relationship and just wanted Stephen to treat her well. Okay. I guess that's and, a, an interesting way to cope with it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, from what I could gather from the documentary, like the Hurst did not comment at all in this documentary. Okay. So none of this is firsthand accounts from them. Um, but, you know, there's recordings and stuff, but it's mostly other people who are involved that are giving accounts here. But... From Stephen's account, uh, Catherine, like her mom, Patty's mom, was not happy, as I would uh, justifiably so, yeah. but she didn't say anything about it and was kind of just polite because I think she understood that if she said anything negative about it, Patty was just going to do it more. Right. So this is funny. Stephen described her as, quote, not snotty, but had an upper class attitude. For Patty or Catherine? For Catherine. Okay. But I kind of read this as she was subtly judgmental and snobby. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's just kind of one of those country club gals who doesn't have to say that you're less than her, but But you does know that she subtly, feels that way. She makes it clear. Yeah. Um, a year into living with Stephen, they got engaged. Great. When she was a 19-year-old sophomore at Berkeley, which I just can't imagine. Being yeah. engaged to somebody at 19. Yeah, that's... Even if it was a different time, it's just like, you're still a child. I know. And it's a seven-year yeah, age difference. I guess that's probably why, because he was, you know, at that point, 26. Uh, the clock was ticking. But even 26, I'm like, I don't know. I, <laughs> Eh, whatever. Yeah, so... Not to place judgment on the relationship, but also to still place judgment on the relationship. <laughs> no, people get married really young. Like, it just, it depends. But also, like, this relationship sounds a little creepy. Oh, it, yeah. Something's weird. Yeah. So this is how the SLA found Patty. Because they saw her engagement announcement in the San Francisco Examiner. Right. And they thought that she would be a great target because she was incredibly wealthy. And it would be high profile. And remember, there are Marxist revolutionary group so they are not fans of the rich so this kind of checks a lot of boxes for them the fucked up part about this is the police who found the list never notified or warned any of the people on that list that they are potentially in danger what? and the sla is still at large they never thought hey maybe we should just give them a little heads up yeah no 
Just like a, hey, just so you know, we found your name on a list full of people they were intending to kidnap on a house they tried to burn down. Um, and kisses. like had tons of guns. Like what? Yeah. So Who, Whose call was that? Or was it just like ignored? I, I don't know. Don't know. That's gross. Yeah, don't like that. So a lot of these like firsthand accounts will come from Bill Harris because he was the only one I think who accepted an interview and he said that the kidnapping of patty was a direct result of joe and russ getting arrested for the murder of marcus foster quote we had to do it as a matter of principle because their end goal was going to work towards exchanging someone for joe and russ to get released okay because you know they view this as a war with the u.s government So in their minds, Joe and Russ have been taken as prisoners of war in a way. Wow. So these people are bad shit. Yeah, very intense. They said Patty was a logical target because she was an heiress to the owners of media companies, which they viewed as an arm of propaganda for the U.S. government. And, quote, we're going to treat her how you're supposed to treat them, meaning like the upper class. So the group began to case the apartment that Patty was staying. It was like a condo. Mm-hmm. So although the pr- the paper didn't give her address directly, they were able to pretty easily find it with the information that they did give. Jesus. And which is scary. Yeah, that's so unsafe. You're like, it's the 70s. What could possibly go wrong? They were highly motivated. So if it was possible, they were going to do it. And, you know, they didn't have any security for her. Of they didn't not. think that they needed to. Right. So, I mean, it's not like they're on the lookout for them. No. So I'm sure that they didn't, like, actively hide it either. They noticed that there was no security. And they also noticed that the apartment was kind of cut off from the street. So there was a street, and then it kind of went back through a driveway. And there was one other building on the right, and then they had the back building that Patty stayed in. So she's kind of secluded from the street so it would be harder for you know eyewitnesses to see them doing anything and it would be harder to hear any commotion as well since it was farther back Uh uh-huh after they cased it they found it you know they kind of hatched a plan to kidnap patty and they picked a weeknight for the kidnapping and on february 4th 1974 they all geared up everyone was involved and armed Angela, Bill, and Donald would do the actual kidnapping with Emily and Nancy in a backup car across the street and Willie and Ms. Moon in a third car for more backup, more out of sight. Jeez. So they're not fucking around. Inside their apartment, everything was as normal as a previously statutory relationship could be. Oh my god. (laughs) Until the couple got a knock at the door with Angela Atwood saying that they hit a car downstairs and they were asking if they could use their phone. Oh, that's so creepy. As soon as Stephen opened the door, Bill and Donald burst into the apartment along with Angela, knocking Stephen to the ground and yelled at him to not look up at them because they didn't want him identifying their faces. And as soon as they got Stephen on the ground, Donald asked where their safe was because he just assumed that because they were so rich, they had to have a safe with a ton of cash in it. Just like in their apartment? Yeah, in their apartment. And Stephen told him like, hey, we don't have a safe, but take anything you want. Yeah. Just don't hurt us. 
And after they had Steven on the ground, they pushed Patty to the ground too, tied her up, blindfolded her, and gagged her. Oh my god. So, at this point, both of them thought that this was just a robbery. They didn't think anything else was going on. And Steven kept looking up at them, and they really got mad about this and one of them took a wine bottle and just started smashing him in the back of the head when he was on the ground and steven knew that if he didn't do anything he thought that they were going to kill him so he got up and started running around the apartment screaming like eyes so full of blood that he couldn't really see and he was hoping that the distraction would drive them away I guess that was his rationale, but I mean, he's been beaten in the head, so he's not thinking really clearly, and he was able to open the door to the back patio, he jumped the fence, and ran over to the neighbor's house to get help from the police. Wow. And while he was getting help, Bill was kidnapping Patty. He picked her up in a fireman carry and left the apartment. He carried Patty to the car and opened the trunk to put her in. But the spring on the trunk pushed it shut, and it locked in the process. So he has to go around to get the keys. So he drops Patty, gets the keys, and comes back. And by the time he comes back, Patty's gone. Right. Um, What sane person would stay there and wait to be put into a trunk? Yeah, I'm out. He looked around to find her and found her balled up in the corner of the garage. So he picked her up again and shoved her in the trunk. Oh, my God. And by the time Bill had done this, uh, neighbors had poured out of their apartments to see what's going on because I'm sure there was a lot of screaming. And nobody just, nobody tried to step in. Nobody did anything. Nobody. These people have like machine guns. Oh, yeah, that's not great. Like I'm not, like there's nothing you can do unless you also have an arsenal at hand. Jesus Christ. What is going on? See, you're going to continue to ask yourself that question. We're not even really started. Oh, great. So... Donald and Angela, I don't think that they followed directly behind him because they were still in the apartment, I think probably trying to gather up any cash that they could find or anything useful. And by the time they came back out, Patty was in the trunk, but the neighbors were out of their apartments and they shot at them to scare them off. These people just don't give a fuck, do they? No, they're not. (laughs) Yeah, they don't. Hearing this across the street, in the car uh, with Nancy and Emily. Nancy heard this, and then she fired a clip at them from across the street. So it's kind of turning into a war scene. And all three cars involved pull out of the neighborhood only to come face-to-face with a Berkeley cop. So they've just fired, like, maybe 60 rounds off. And as they're leaving the neighborhood, they cross a cop, and the cop stops them. They stop Willie and Ms. Moon, who are in the front car, and then the other two are behind them. Yeah, there so, were so many backups. Of course they're going to get away. Right. At least so, a couple. Yeah. The cops are outgunned for sure. And there's three cars of seven people. And it's really tense because everyone knows that if they get out of the car and start to try and arrest them, they have to shoot them. Or, you know, just try and speed away. But, you know, this is high stakes. And... Luckily for everyone involved, the cop had stopped them because they didn't have their headlights on. So Willie flipped on his headlights and rolled past the cop. Wow. That's it? It was just turn on your headlights? Yeah. The cop wasn't there because he heard a million gunshots go off? No. And 
Bill actually saw the cop get the call for a disturbance as they were driving past him. I I could not blink slower if I tried. Like, that is, I cannot believe. It's insane. And they got away. And they have a woman in their trunk. Correct. And all the neighbors are outside, and the other guy is bloody and screaming and running around trying to find someone to help him. Yeah. So I'm sure the neighbors are back in their apartments now, after getting shot at. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, somebody called the cops. Jeez. But they got away. And Stephen spent just under a week in the hospital. After that, he was greeted by Patty's parents at their home where he gave a statement to the press. And the kidnapping was all over the news. Well, because yeah, they own the news. They own the news. And everyone was just shocked that Patty was taken. Nobody could understand it. It was just nothing had happened like this. It just made no sense to anyone. The Berkeley PD knew that this case was going to go far beyond their resources. They immediately notified the FBI. Usually in these types of cases, like in a kidnapping case, the cops try and keep all the details kind of close to the chest. They don't like leaking anything to the media just so that they can use that. But they knew like it just wasn't going to be possible in this case. So they just had to accept that it was inescapable. This was going to be high profile and a lot of the details were going to come out. Wow. And the press just camped out in front of the Hearst house, just waiting for any updates or statements or anything. And it was just like a circus. Like people just did not leave their house. That must have been, that must be so tough. I always think about when there's something as high profile as like, I guess this was, and People just have, like, news cars parked outside of their house at all times. That must be exhausting. Yeah, I can't do that. I would get so mad. Like, I, yeah, how could you not? Like, I feel like, how would you not just, like, pull the hose and just be oh, like, Oh, yeah, no, I'd do get more than that. away. Like, yeah, I would get creative. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, there's no updates. They have no idea where Patty is. There's just nothing. Mm. It's just, you know, pure hopelessness and just no information. It's just a vacuum. And then what they called a quote-unquote communique from the SLA came into the press that they leaked to different outlets, confirming that they were holding Patty, and it said that their united force, armed with cyanide-tipped bullets, served a, quote, arrest warrant on Patricia Hurst. Because they can do that? They can serve an arrest warrant on Patty? Okay. These people will continue to not make sense. Okay. We just need to accept that. They demanded that their message be sent to all major publications, which it was clearly going to be, and read on the nightly news under the threat of Patty's well-being. Great. So, I mean, imagine being like a local nightly news host. You're reading direct communication from these, I mean, basically terrorists. Yeah. It's insane. Their first demand was for the Hearst family to give every poor person in California $70 for food. Okay. Because they're a Marxist group. I have to keep bringing this up, but this right. is why they're doing this. Mm -hmm. So they kind of want to spark a revolution like for the people. They're so they're like very pro-working class. Trying to be like Robin Hood almost? Yeah. They said that this would be a show of good faith from the Hearsts and would allow them to continue negotiating. So it's kind of like, do this, and then maybe we'll let her go. Wow. But, I mean, they're just trying to extort them for as much as possible. Right. But they're trying to 
do this in order to gain support from the people. Kidnap for the people. Yeah. That's so, really weird. I mean, obviously, getting people money for food is a good thing, but, like, I mean... Yeah, like... The lengths to which you go, I mean, you yeah. just turn yourself into an absolute monster. Just, like, vigilante justice type. Right. <laughs> On some new level. Yeah, that this is very blown out of proportion, but damn. All right. So, what they didn't realize was that they had made a demand that required about $400 million. Holy which shit. Randy Hurst did not have. And remember, this is the 70s. Yeah. So... 400 mil is a lot today, even. Yeah. But back then it was like, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but it would probably be in the billions. Right. So instead, Randy gave $2 million to a nonprofit that was focused on helping those in need, hoping that this would be enough. Because he really believed that if he didn't do anything, that they were going to kill Patty. Yeah, why would he believe anything else? And Correct. And Randy had more money than that. But he wanted to retain his dignity in all of this, and he didn't want to be fleeced by them. Hmm. So he kind of gave what he thought. I mean, he gave a lot. Two million was a lot, but he didn't give everything right. that he had. Stephen and him actually disagreed on this behind closed doors, but they eventually came to the consensus that, you know, this is just a really difficult situation. And you know that even if you give them everything you have there's no guarantee that they'll give patty back that's true and they or, could always just ask for more and then you don't have anything else to give correct so, i mean that's what they're gonna do so right. randy also contacted ludlow kramer and peggy mays johnson who were already involved in the state of washington's food distribution programs so he's really trying to make this happen or something approximating what they're asking for mm -hmm. and the two flew down to meet with him, and they began setting, like, making plans to set up a food program in California and to distribute food as a show of good faith so that they wouldn't kill his daughter. Wow. From Bill's account, they said that they didn't plan on having her for long, and they all wore ski masks around her so that they couldn't, so that she couldn't see their faces. You know, the plan was to kind of just extort them for as much as they were worth and then release Patty back to her parents. Meanwhile, Patty was absolutely terrified, and she knew immediately who the SLA were. She had heard of the murder of Marcus Foster, and she knew what these people were capable of. She was interrogated and insulted over and over again, and they put her, like, blindfolded and gagged in a closet in their apartment they were all sharing. So they were sharing, like, a really small apartment with, like, eight people, and then they shoved her into a closet. Okay, that's not good. So what do I say? <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> like, that's, I'm, I'm just so dumbfounded because such good is coming out of something so terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's... them setting up a food program for like people in need and like donating money to like a charity. Like that's really good, but such an extreme way. Like it's not, it's not an okay thing to do. So I'm just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know? it's more pernicious than if somebody's just like, everything's consistently evil, but I mean, you're becoming monsters in pursuit of what you're trying to do. Yeah. You're becoming the people you're fighting against. It, yeah. Like what you perceive them as. Oh my God, mic drop. Um, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'm, I have some knowledge sometimes. Uh -uh. So they kept telling her that her parents didn't care about her and neither did the police. And during this time, Patty believed that she had nowhere to go. 
from her account, she says that she was beaten and then raped by Donald and Willie. Oh my God. So absolutely horrific. Yeah. She wouldn't eat in the first few days and she had to be shown that they weren't trying to poison her by one of the members eating some of the cereal that they were giving her and then she would take a bite and then they would and then she would. They explained to her why they were doing what they were doing and viewed themselves as determined rational actors who were just not messing around. So, I mean, this is just the extent of the delusion. No, this is so... Okay, I take it back. They're monsters. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, they did one good thing, but basically they're trying to convert her. So they gave her a flashlight and some literature to memorize and recite to them because they were, in their minds, they were re-educating her. They're they, just trying to get her to believe exactly what they believe. Yeah, yeah. they... I remember Bill saying something like, we weren't going to let her go without... Brainwashing? <laughs> brain, like, well, they viewed it as like, oh, we're convincing her right. of like why we're doing this. In their eyes, Patty was actually handling her situation admirably for somebody of the upper class, and it caused them to have more respect for her than they thought they would have. And this is from Bill. Interesting. So, I don't know, this was something weird, but they kind of start to respect her because I think she was starting to buy in, you know, wasn't... Fighting back or... Wasn't fighting back or wasn't, you know, just a complete mess. Mm. I, I don't know what they mean by admirably, yeah. but apparently they liked what they, how she was handling herself. Okay. In this house, there were three men and five women, and they were all feminists, right? Okay. So they use this. They're feminists to... who rape a woman. Uh, okay. So Interesting. this is something that comes back as a contention, but we'll never actually know because Bill and the other members strongly contest that accusation. Although I am ready to believe Patty. Patty says them. they did. Yeah. Okay. So then I probably will believe patty by the end i'm assuming right well it's gonna be a little that, muddy it's not that easy okay but you can't just dismiss it they disagree on what happened and i don't think we'll ever know for sure what what actually occurred but okay. it is their account that nothing would have ever happened and the women said that they would have never allowed such disgusting behavior to happen and if i guess if they really were feminists it has some credence but we'll get that will come during the trial. Okay. Later on. I'm I'm just taking or making judgments based off of what I know right now. And I don't exactly. know anything else. So <laughs> Right. So that's Yeah. I don't know. I tend to err on the side of believing Patty. Yeah. So, I mean that's a bold claim to say you're like a yeah, feminist good guy and you're yeah, kidnapping mean, someone and potentially raping them. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. So yeah, these people are monsters and yeah. I don't really trust most of anything that they say unless it's corroborated. Sure. But they were all feminists and they used this to kind of talk to Patty and kind of help bridge her to their views politically. Mm -hmm. So they started with pretty basic things because remember it's the 70s and I'm sure at this time, you know, women became secretaries and, you know, we're very much not equal not equal you know i imagine it would be kind of an attractive thing to say like these people are crazy but they're making good points about you know hey women should be treated equally they should be able to you know share the household chores go do whatever career that they want they should be treated as equals and be able to pursue what they want sure and 
They also explained the selfishness of the upper class and how they hoarded wealth and power from the rest of society. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I think, how people kind of get hooked into conspiracy theories mm. because they'll say a couple things that are true yeah. and then they'll go off into left field, right. which is what they're about to do. Mm. Cult, and, if you will. Yes. So this is a form of a cult, for yeah. sure. The other thing about the SLA just kind of painting who these people are and their collection of beliefs is that they had rejected monogamy and Bill and Emily had an open marriage. The group didn't really have that many rules except to be quote unquote comradely. Okay. So I don't know. It seems like they're rejecting anything about the U S government or like the general culture at the time, but they don't have like defined alternatives. They, they just seem like a very extreme group that was very ahead of their time, but in a really terrible way. Ahead of their time? Well, I mean, like, polyamory is, like, very much a thing now. I mean, it's still, like, kind of taboo in our society, but, like, it's more accepted now than it was then. True. You know? Um. Yeah. So it does seem, like, from Bill's account that they were all kind of intermingling and having sex. Okay. So... I mean, I don't care about that. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever makes you but, happy, I guess. But, like, don't kidnap and kill people. Like, yeah. But, you know, I'm just trying to paint, like, the beliefs that they sure. had. Sure. Yeah, so, of course. this was another part of the puzzle. The SLA was still using Patty to let her family know that she was okay to kind of extract more concessions from them. And they said that she's being held as a prisoner of war in accordance with the Geneva Conventions. So they would have her record the communiques sometimes. Mm -hmm. Over time, she kind of got this tone of annoyance telling everyone to stop acting like she was dead because it was important to the SLA that she be returned safely. So she's starting to... Subscribe go, to sub their... Yeah, subscribe to them and argue on behalf of them. Right. People bring up Stockholm Syndrome for this case. Mm -hmm. I don't think as the case goes on... It makes sense, but this part, like, starts to feel like that. Right. I was just thinking that. Yep. And she also told her mom to stop wearing that stupid black dress. <laughs> she wasn't dead yet. Okay. I can I can understand that. I mean, I guess from the mother's standpoint, she's, like, she is mourning the loss of her daughter and, like, hoping for her to come back. But I, I can understand from Patty being, like, I'm not dead, so maybe don't wear black. Yeah, but she also hates her mom. So well, that <laughs> you know. As for meeting their demands, uh, the Hearst were still working with Ludlow and Peggy, and they actually helped create the People in Need Foundation, and it was an organization that would that would distribute food to everyone in California. Food was flowing into a big warehouse that they were using, and almost overnight, as a result of this horrific crime. A social service, like, or organization was created. Yeah, like, that's that's where I'm struggling. It's <laughs> you so know? weird. I'm like, that's really nice. Like, that's good. Yeah. So at the time, like, this was, this was a strange time politically. Sure. And Ronald Reagan was actually the governor of California. And uh, if we know anything about him, he's not a huge fan of social services. And he was actually urging people to not accept the food. What? And made a comment about those who did accept it. And when Peggy was asked to respond to that, she called him a motherfucker. <laughs> and they published it. 
so how can you deny people who need food that's like there for them i mean yeah it came yeah. from a bad place it's kind of like ooh, don't use drug money don't use blood blood money but like it's food i'm not gonna say no to chicken let's be oh, honest okay that's not what i'm <laughs> okay <laughs> i was that's not where i went but okay anyway that's, i just thought yeah. that was a funny detail but right. At the warehouse, they were trying to start distributing food, and people actually swarmed the warehouse and were rioting, mobbing the trucks that were coming in, and people were, like, grabbing food from the trucks and, like, throwing it to people in the crowd, and this was all, it was, like, complete pandemonium at the warehouse and was broadcast all over TV. Like, it just continues to get nuts. That's nuts, yeah. Right? So they were, like, not in protest of this food service, but, like to get the food or like yeah they just wanted food oh okay i guess it was like free food well right i mean for people who need the food like that's great yeah and i mean it was a really tough time economically like remember right unemployment's really high and so is inflation so you know a lot of people can't find jobs and the money that they're making is just worth less and less yeah so i don't know if that sounds familiar (laughs) to anyone i was gonna say it's almost like that's happening right um, now like yeah overnight i mean you're paying like you know, 15, 20% more at the grocery store. And it's like, you know, it's a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of can't blame him if you no. are, if people starving, yeah, they're starving. And then there's like, there's somewhere where you can go get free food. Yeah, like, of course. Go get free food yeah. for sure. So, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can really blame people for acting in their self-interest. No, definitely not. While this is all happening, the SLA gave Patty a small TV and a radio so that she could keep up with her own coverage. They had seen that their demands were, you know, somewhat effective. Even if it wasn't the full amount that they requested, they still got the hearse to set up a nonprofit or social service overnight, pretty much. Right. They wanted more, obviously. And they called the first two million that Robert Hearst gave mere crumbs and that it was so small it forced people to fight over it. And they demanded an additional four million and called the initial investment that he gave an acceptable gesture of good faith for the time being. Hmm. Randy really went back and forth about this because remember, he really does have more money. And if he really wanted to, he could, you know, pull out a loan against his house, I'm sure, or whatever real estate he has. He could figure out a way to get more. But he, you know, I think he sees where this is going and he knows that no matter how much he gives, like, He's going to pretty much give everything, and then they still might not. Um, I guess, but like, wouldn't you do anything you could to get your daughter back? I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough call because, you know, you don't know when you're in that position. Because remember the kidnapping that we just covered? Yeah. In, in Mexico? Eduardo Valseca? Eduardo. Like, even if uh, his wife gave everything, there was no guarantee that they weren't going to just still keep her. Well, you know what I mean? So it's like... Keep him, I could see, yeah, keep, you know, whoever they're kidnapping, kidnapping. So it, it, it's, it's just a tough situation. You're like well, fucked either way. Oh my God. Okay. Our upstairs neighbor is scooting a chair, but um, yeah, it is a tough situation, but Jane gave the only reason she couldn't give or she didn't give everything that they were asking was because she didn't have it. You know, she gave everything she could and fought for more like yeah. that. It's different. Like he has the money and he's not giving it for why because he's like oh they're just gonna ask for more yeah they might but like yeah your daughter's in their hands yeah well i mean this is what he did 
Okay. I'm not going to cast a judgment. Sure. Um, well, it's I a am. really tough situation. <laughs> it is, but and uh, I don't think that he, even if he gave four million, that it would have changed. Maybe not, um, but you know, it's just it's it, an interesting standpoint to take, uh, an interesting hill to die on, if you will. Randy gave a press conference saying that the additional demand was beyond his financial capabilities. The SLA didn't know that most of his money was tied up in the Hearst world of finance. So like most of the money that he has access to, he would have to go through like the Hearst board and get all of his family members to agree to give him more money to maybe get Patty back. Mm. So I think this is... So it's not just his is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. And I don't know, this is crazy to me that these types of families exist, but they do where you are basically a corporation as a family and you have a board of family members who controls your vast fortune of wealth as generations keep going through it's like nobody really worked for it you just get all this money it's insane to me yeah old money baby yeah i know it's old money it's truly what it is but, I mean, this was his rationale. He would have to go to the board of Hearst and then convince them to give him more for ransom that wasn't actually going to directly lead to Patty's release. I see. You know, and then the additional question of they were just going to keep doing this. Uh, I'm just reacting to the information as it comes to me. <laughs> and you know what? That's exactly what we want. Right. Uh, and when Patty heard this, she was crushed and really mad with them because yeah she thought that her dad had way more money than this and felt like he had abandoned her i and, don't blame her and i don't blame her either so in the next communique patty ripped her family for staying silent for so long after the additional demand and said that she knows that the amount of money they are asking for is well within their capabilities and that they weren't doing enough they were doing nothing at all damn from Bill's account, so this is gross okay. because of what Patty said, but this is what the SLA's account is mm-hmm. while this is all going on, and it is corroborated by audio that is that comes out later. Okay. So I would have cut this out if it was cut and dry that Willie raped her, but during this time, Bill said that Willie spent the most time with Patty because they shared a similar class background. Apparently, Mm. Willie was from a wealthy family. He began to feed her writing that had influenced him to join the SLA. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of working to convert her in this way because he shares a lot of cultural background with her. Mm -hmm. Patty developed an infatuation, according to them, for Willie, and one night... The group asked, oh, if you would have sex with anyone in this room, who would it be? And she said that it would be Willie. Mm. And there was kind of like a debate around whether or not they should allow it to happen. And then... This is really weird. Should I cut this out? No, I mean, it's it's part of the story. It's fine. But I'm just like, this is strange. Oh, it's bizarre. It feels and much it more looks- sinister than that because they have so much power over her. Like, she's oh. very much in their possession she's kidnapped and cannot leave so to make her say that i mean i don't know i don't know what was happening in the room i don't know like if she actually was like subscribing to them and she was okay with that but like that's from the way it sounds is disgusting yeah i at the very least this seems like a pretty overt coercion yeah and so they like voted 
on like whether or not to allow it to happen. No, that's and disgusting. They were like Willie and Patty were given privacy. So I think, yeah, I don't know. This is probably when she was raped. Yeah. Um, although it might not have seemed to Bill like this was overt or like you what you would think of. I think that she was definitely coerced because of yeah. the situation she was in. Yeah. So. We'll never know what actually happened, but this is well, what... Well, that sounds pretty clear to me, but yeah. that's gross. Well, okay. yeah, I don't know. They could have lied about this. They could have been like, you have to have sex with somebody. Like, I don't believe really anything that they say. Well, it could right. have been way more overt than this, but... No, but what I'm saying is, matter. like, even if it was some kind of conversation that she was a part of, like, it's still... They had a vote, and, like, it's just... It, it's gross. It has nothing to do with, like, what she wanted, you know? Correct. That's disgusting. So, this is a cult. Another part of the reason that the Hearsts were targeted was that Catherine was a regent at the University of California, and she despised the students' protests. And, you know, the students' protests are kind of what birthed the SLA. This is what they came from. So they're very much at odds with her views on them and her general political beliefs. And during the kidnapping what was viewed as a direct slap in the face to them, Catherine accepted a reappointment to the Board of Regents. So now she kind of has some power over what happens at the University of California. And Patty was not happy about it either. This seemed to, to kind of complete her alienation from her family. She started to try and convince the SLA to let her stay with them and not to go home, according to Bill Harris. They didn't think that it was safe for her to continue to be with them since they're on the run from the FBI. You know, she really had to convince them that this wasn't fake. She actually wanted to stay with them. And in the sixth communique, she told her parents that Catherine's reappointment to the Board of Regents put her life in danger and that she was now going to fight for the SLA. Wow. Okay. So. So she's now a part of it, pretty much. Pretty much. She wants to be. Right. Okay. So news hosts across the country began kind of speculating, like, what? Everyone kind of believed that she was forced to say what she was saying in the communiques, Uh but now they're starting to kind of question whether she actually joined or not, or if she's been brainwashed, or if she was coerced to send this one. But people are starting to wonder. As Patty was joining, the SLA was running out of money because they're holed up in an apartment, and they don't have jobs. Right. It's not like you go punch the clock no. while you're, you know, harboring a fugitive or... <laughs> a kidnap victim? <laughs> yeah, while you have a kidnap victim. <laughs> right. Um, and actively they... kidnapped someone. Yeah. So nobody's going to work. No. There's no income. They knew that they had to do something to get money to keep on going. And they also wanted to prove in a very public way that Patty was, in fact, on their side and with them. Okay. So to do both at the same time, the group decided to rob a bank with video cameras and they picked out Hibernia Bank. Okay. So they're going to rob a bank with Patty. Holy shit. Yeah. Bill says that he would rather not rob banks, (laughs) which I thought was fun. That's a bit of an understatement. You know, I would rather not rob a bank. Right. It wasn't fun, according to him, but necessary. Okay. And... He said that Patty insisted on being part of the group that went into the bank to rob it. Interesting. And the day came when their plan kind of came together. 
Bill, Emily, and Willie stood across from the bank in case anything went wrong, and the rest of the group went in to rob the bank. Donald disarmed the guard, and Ms. Moon went behind the bank desk to grab cash while the rest of the crew like made sure everyone kept their heads down, and they made it very clear that if you looked up, you weren't going to have a head anymore. Oh, my God. And because this bank has cameras, it caught Patty front and center actively participating in the robbery and telling everyone to stay down or she'll shoot. Wow. And, you know, as if this story isn't sensational enough, right? it is much more with this image it was sent all over the news yeah and it's kind of like she's a part of it now yeah but it it also could be that she's being told she has to or they'll kill her you know correct at this point i agree with you yeah however uh-huh you know is, more than i do about i this. know more right and we're gonna keep going down this road okay so Bill insists that she was a 100% equal member of the group with equal responsibility and that they did not force her to do anything, which I find extremely hard to believe. And in fact, he says at this point, it was against her will to go home. You know, people were still believed that she was brainwashed at this point. And Catherine was giving interviews saying like, oh, she's under some sort of sick mind control. And Patty actually took this as kind of patronizing and she wanted to prove her mom wrong. Oh my God. And in a seventh communique where Petty details the bank robbery, where they took it from, how much money they stole. She also gives a direct response to her mom quote, as for being brainwashed, the idea is ridiculous to the point of being beyond belief to those people who still believe that I am brainwashed or dead. I see no reason to further defend my position. Okay. So, so I mean, she's, she's still, making it very clear. Yeah. She, I mean, she still could be being coerced at this point, but... Doesn't really sound I like I listened it. to the tape, and it sounds like Pre- she's uh Pretty convincing, yeah. yeah. So the FBI looks even worse after this because they robbed a bank in broad daylight, and they have no idea where they are. Yeah. And they got pictures of it. Right. So the, the head of the investigation had to admit that they didn't know anything. Mm. And it made them look really bad. So after this, they got enough money to keep going on. And they're still holed up in San Francisco, like in this apartment. And at the same time that they were doing this, there was another group that was committing a string of notorious crimes. It was dubbed the Zebra Murders. And what? I guess, yeah, continuing to get more We're insane. getting like a side plot? Yeah, so... This is important because of the environment they were operating under. The zebra murders were perpetrated by the Death Angels, which was a black Muslim group of four men who were pulling like white people off the streets and basically torturing and murdering them. Whoa. The city of San Francisco is in a complete panic because it seems like these killings are pretty random and I think all in all they murdered about 20 people. Holy shit. So extra police are flooding the streets because they're trying to catch these people and it's like the wild west out there what the hell really and they were stopping anyone who was black and pretty much just like checking them for weapons that's not good so not good are we surprised no No, unfortunately not but this is it's important because like these are the conditions that they're operating under so donald defreeze is black Mm -hmm. so he basically can't go outside or he would get arrested Pretty much, you know, there's a really heightened police presence 
in their area. So they all kind of decide that they need to leave San Francisco and they were going to go down to LA where Donald's from because he kind of knows the area, knows probably where to go and how to stay safe. At this time, Bill recalls again asking Patty to go home to her family. He said, you know, at this point you will have a robbery charge, but you could probably get out of it. And it might be easier for us to kind of go on without you. So now they're asking her to leave. They're like, can you leave now? That's what not he like, says. Not like we're going to release you. Like, oh, can you please get out of here, please? Yeah, that's what he says. So, what? What? How much more of part one do we have? Oh, we have a lot. Um, oh. So she had, like I said, she had robbed a bank. But I think with her connections, it wouldn't be impossible for her to get out of it. And I think at this point, she still has plausible... Deniability. Deniability for, or not, maybe it's not plausible deniability, but it's believable that she was coerced into doing it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you mean a rich white girl can't get out of a charge? <laughs> like, I think she could. I think she probably could. Yeah, we're about to see that go to work oh, uh, okay. eventually. Not in part one, but mm. the group headed down to LA. Without Patty. With Patty. With Patty. Okay. She wanted to go, according to them. And they kind of recognized that they couldn't keep like sharing a one or two bedroom with nine people. Right. That sounds implausible. They got a house in L.A. and then they said that, okay, we're going to kind of regroup here, get some materials, and then we're going to split up into three groups. How how did they buy a house? I don't know. I think you can, I don't know, like... Wear a mask? (laughs) Well, you mean you could just go under an alias. I mean, it's the 70s. So like you can go under an alias and like probably pay cash yeah probably but like aren't there pictures in the news they're not wear, that far they're wearing disguises like patty's wearing a wig at they this point. put on a baseball cap and sunglasses and they could buy a house the 70s hey are wild hey man i don't know that did it that's insane i don't know i think you could probably rent it and you just pay like oh i'm gonna pay the first six months up front people yeah. just don't ask questions i guess that's true um or they lived in it, or it's abandoned. I have no idea. I'm just imagining all of them, like even even the ladies, just like everyone's wearing a baseball cap, sunglasses, and like a fake mustache. mustache. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, don't don't look too hard at us. We're gonna take hey, this one. Stop asking questions. This one's for us. Don't worry about it. Here's a lot of money that we definitely didn't steal from a bank. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> if you open the bag and you get splattered in the face with paint, just wipe it off. It's fine. And, uh, yeah, the fact that it's red, you can ignore. (laughs) Yeah. So they left for LA. They found a house. Police found the apartment that they had left behind a week late, uh, from the landlord. They were like, landlord's like, yeah, this is weird. Like they just kind of up and left. I don't know. It was, it was strange that they didn't know before, but the police kind of found their apartment a week late and there was nothing there. They had like wiped it down before kind of splitting up into three different locations they sent Bill, Emily, and Patty rolling around in their VW van to pick up more weapons and supplies before they jetted off. Lord. Another funny thing is the van actually got a parking ticket. Okay. We love LA parking tickets. I know. Oh my God. You can't escape it. No. uh, Even as uh, fugitives. And they were going to go pay it. Uh, They're going to go to court? Uh, I don't know if you have to go to court, but like you just pay the ticket. Yeah. Because I think they knew if they didn't do it, they would kind of raise concern. Uh, yeah. But it's so funny to me that they were going to follow the law for a parking ticket. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, God, all right, let's go pay it. All right, fine. Um, So one of the stops that they made 
was Mel's Sporting Goods Store. Oh, yeah? yeah? Why? So, I don't know. I think that they actually had, like, a shotgun bandolier, which is, like, a vest that holds the ammo uh-huh. at the Sporting Goods Store. So, I think the store had, like, some supplies that they might have needed. Okay. I don't know why, but this is where they went. And before they went into the store, they intentionally left Patty in the van with the keys in the ignition with weapons. Okay. So if she was being held against her will, she could have left. Yes. Right then. And they note that. Right. She did not. Right. And if that isn't enough, this will seal the deal. And Emily and Bill go into the store to get what they needed. And according to Bill, he picked up a shotgun bandolier, but then he kind of got paranoid because their pictures are all over the news. Yeah. And he put it back and then they went and paid for what they were going to get because maybe they were getting things that seemed less suspicious. Sure. And then as he was leaving the store, the store manager kind of came out after him. He's like, hey, you stole something. Wait, I need, you can't leave unless I search you. So Bill's account is that he didn't steal anything, but they say that he, yeah, that he definitely stole something. Basically, when Bill resisted, they wrestled him to the ground and got a handcuff on his left hand. And Emily was trying to help, but I mean, it was two bigger guys. As soon as Patty saw that Bill was going down, without hesitation, picked up a machine gun and started (gasps) shooting. Oh my God. So... She like lit them up and Bill believed that he was going to, he thought that he was going to get shot and she spent an entire magazine and then picked up another gun and kept shooting. And Hey, maybe we shouldn't have access to these kinds of guns. <laughs> right? Jesus Christ. I mean, they did not get these legally, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, the manager got up and like hid behind a light post and then the other employee kind of booked it back into the store and uh, yeah bill and emily were able to get up and run back to the van and drive away and the employee who ran into the store came out with a manager and they were both shooting at him wow they got away because of patty okay bill credits her with saving his life that day and they were trying to get away in this vw van but, you know, they were going nowhere quick. Right. You know, because it's a van. So they stopped a newer Pontiac at gunpoint and then moved all of their guns and ammo to the new car and sped off. Because this is now Grand Theft Auto Five. Correct. Okay, amazing. That's what they're doing. The only problem was is that this car broke down after two blocks. Ha! Get fucked. So they had to steal another car. Bill went up to two guys in their driveway he says gentlemen i'm sorry but i'm gonna have to take your car i'm with the sla and the cops are chasing us he thought that after the food relief program people would kind of be on their side and the guy said oh sure and tossed him the keys and they sped off in his car so they were right that people were going to be on their side either that or or he was held at gunpoint and had to well they had, I mean, he's walking up to him, I'm sure, with a machine gun, and they know who they are at this point, right? So I would imagine that it's either they're on their side or they're terrified that they'll get shot if they say no. That sounds more likely. So they did get away in the stolen car, but, you know, they knew that they couldn't drive it back to the safe house, and they knew that the cops would be out for this car. Right. Right. 
So they had to find another way to get back home, and they found a, a van that was for sale in the neighborhood. Emily approached the guy who was selling it and kind of said, you know, hey, I want to take a test drive. Like, would you come with me? And he just tossed her the keys, and they went driving because people just trusted people. Yeah. She got around the block, and then Patty and Bill joined them, and Bill, like, kind of went up with the gun under his coat and was like, hey, we're with the SLA. We don't want to hurt you, but we need to take this car. He was, like, trying to be calm with him. So the guy's name was Tom. Okay. So Tom is terrified for his life, but they're talking to him like everything's normal. Like, they asked him, like, oh, hey, like, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, yeah, I got a baseball game. He's like, we're going to get you back for that. And Patty was flirting with him. He's like, my friends are not going to believe this story. They're, like, yucking it up. Okay. Or, like, trying to, but Tom is terrified. Yeah. He's just trying to go along. And I think Bill and Emily are so delusional that they think, oh, he's calm. Like, he's okay with this. While Patty was flirting with him, she emptied the bullets from her gun to kind of make him more comfortable. (laughs) I, I don't know. Okay. Um, And she told Tom that she was a willing participant in the bank robbery. So this is like his account is this. So this is a witness, I guess, that she said this. Bill still had the handcuff on his left arm. And Tom was able to find a hacksaw and they shaved it off. And Bill like gave him a big like bear hug after like, thank you. And then Patty kissed him on the cheek. Okay. So, I mean, this is just. This is fake. This is a situation, (laughs) right? This is insane. This is not real. So they they went away to sleep in the van overnight with Tom. So he's now kidnapped? For the night. They said that they were going to get him back for his baseball game, but they kidnapped him and stole his car. Great. So meanwhile, the LAPD had identified the shootout at Mel's Sporting Goods store. They identified that it was the SLA. Bill, Emily, and Patty realized that when they were switching cars, they had left the parking ticket in their van the police found their van and the parking ticket and then they knew where they were living because they had parked it across the street from their house oh my god the six others know that when they don't come back the police probably know where the house is and they move houses a couple miles away just in case you know armed with this info they're going to search the area and they they sent in some SWAT teams and they eventually like kind of deduced which house they were staying at because they just went and knocked on people's doors and the people that answered were obviously not them. Uh-huh. And, you know, they would recognize them if they saw them. So the SWAT teams know what house they were living in and they surrounded it. And apparently there was the FBI and the LAPD SWAT team. And of course, before they break in, there was some dick measuring between the two SWAT teams. Oh, God. I guess the L.A. SWAT team actually had more experience, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the FBI SWAT team wants to prove that they're better, whatever. The leader of the FBI SWAT team just ordered them to break in, and they busted in and found an empty house, but they found, like, thousands of rounds of ammo, propaganda posters, and a log detailing whose job it was to stay watch. So if they were still in the house... They would have known they were coming miles away, and they probably would have killed all of these officers that barged in. Well, that's bad. So they got lucky with this one. And after this, the LAPD took the lead role in tracking down the SLA because they've been working the case for longer. The FBI had a lot of work to do up in San Francisco with the other killings that were going on. 
Jesus. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much know the area that they're in now. And do you, I'm sorry, just, do you know what neighborhood it was? I don't know. Okay. Actually, I think that they said Compton, but like, oh. I really don't remember. It, it was on, um, it was on 84th Street, but I don't know what okay. that means. I, I was just wondering if I knew. No, I didn't recognize it either. Okay. Um, I believe it was in like South LA though. Okay. That's kind of what I was picturing. Right. So the LAPD takes a lead role. You know, even though the other members had found a house a few miles away, they're closing in. Like, they know the general area that they're staying in. And Bill, Emily, and Patty don't go back, but LAPD's flooding this area with cops with about 150 officers, which is usually the amount of officers that they use to patrol the city on any given day. Wow. So they've focused everyone that they have in this one area. This area was also predominantly black and... Remember that Donald is the only one of the SLA that's black himself. So it's really out of place to see five white people who look like they're like they're all from college. They're all from Berkeley. Yeah. So they're just really out of place in this neighborhood and they stick out like a sore thumb. Mm. So as the police are kind of casing the neighborhood, they're asking people like, oh, have you seen these people? And... One old lady comes up to them and is like, are you looking for the white people with guns? <laughs> hey, um, I've seen a lot of these white people with guns. Uh... Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah, they're over there in my daughter-in-law's house. Uh, okay. Her, her daughter's house. I forget which one. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, they're over there. And they immediately evacuated the nearby houses. And one of the officers heard Donald giving orders to barricade the doors. So he's like... So they're inside. So yeah, we've located the six members and um, they're gearing up for a shootout because they just just found thousands of rounds of ammo at the old house. Right. They evacuated the houses and surrounded it and shouted over and over 23 times that the house was surrounded and to come out and surrender. After all this, two people emerged from the house. One was a small boy and one was an older man that they had been holding hostage and the older man lied about who was in the house. He said it was just an old woman. But the little boy also said that it was a bunch of white people with guns. <laughs> Good. I'm glad the little boy said that. So, you know, they keep yelling at them to, you know, surrender, but they're not. And it's just this tense non-action. I hope there wasn't. Lull. I'm sorry. I hope there wasn't like an older woman. They were still holding hostage in there. Not an older woman, but they are holding somebody else. Oh, jeez. The LAPD then fired a round of tear gas into the house to flush out the SLA and to get them to, like, come out and surrender. Yeah. But this was seen as shooting an actual round, and all hell broke loose. Oh, my God. And this is where we have to end part one. I literally knew it. As soon as you were like, oh, they located them in the house, I was like, this motherfucker is going to stop right Uh at the shootout. I know it. Okay, well, I mean, we got to leave a cliffhanger, no? Sure, I guess. But doesn't this, this story will get crazier, and it already just doesn't... It's already unhinged. It didn't seem real in the first 10 minutes. No. But, yeah, I don't know, like... Patty seems to be in it now. Yeah, you know? clearly. Damn. And so this, how where you got your research, like there wasn't any actual 
firsthand account from Patty or the Hearst family at all. Yeah, and every single episode of this docuseries ends with, we have reached out to the Hearst multiple times, and, and they, they have declined right. to comment. Okay. Um, Patty did write a book about the experience, um, which I did not have time to read. Okay. But um, it is out there. Um, so we'll, but, we'll plug it maybe at the end of part two. Maybe. Yeah. But um, I think that she this documentary was giving a more balanced view of what happened because Uh you know after the shooting at mel's it's kind of hard to argue that she was still being coerced yeah you know and that she wasn't actually participating right so after this she kind of gives selective interviews Mm. we'll get into that in part two okay but wow you know they're uh in a pickle oh oh god to say the least um and we will we will open with that next time it wasn't intentional for this story to be so gun heavy yeah no let's let's say that up front i have been researching this story for a while for like a month yeah it's been it's been a long time coming it's a big story and yeah i just i i kept thinking about that and i'm like that this is an unfortunate timing but yeah wow this is an insane story but i'm excited to hear part two because yeah I, I can't even imagine how it would get crazier but i believe you because holy shit mm-hmm. um but anyway what is your i guess your good thing of the week oh my good thing is that i have memorial day off and i had this friday off so Yay! i have a four-day weekend baby yes we love a four-day weekend so i'm gonna try and relax yeah a little bit rest up yeah that's good. My good thing is that I read another book. I don't know what's up. I, I would never read books. I, I'm glad that I started. I don't know what was stopping me all these years. Maybe it was just like some... Uh, books are for nerds. Yeah, dude. like some, some stupid rebellion against like education no that's that's not that's not the right thing to say you don't need to learn things well no because i I think (laughs) i think like i didn't like reading books for like school like in high school you know oh yeah hated that uh because the books were bad and i was like ah i just i would rather be doing something else so i think it was just like probably some some shit like that but i'm really happy that i'm reading more books and i'm enjoying the stories the last one i just finished was uh it was called the the last thing he told me it was pretty good that sounds dark. It well, it was intense, but it was uh, it was it was good. It was more of like a mystery. Um, okay, but it was fun. Yeah, if you're looking for a book, try it out. Try it out. Yeah, but that's my good thing. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. We have a Patreon where you can find exclusive content as well as a form of community, baby at patreon.com slash not today podcast if you or anyone you know has a story that you would like to share with us and potentially hear an upcoming listeners episode send it to no today podcast at gmail.com we have a tiktok that is not today podcast and a twitter that is not today podcast with a t on the end of podcast is he three because that makes sense because that makes sense and just keep breathing yeah yeah <laughs>